So if we're going to say, if we say that the things which happened to our ancestors is that which happens to us and that it's imprinted in who it means to be a Jew and in our neshamas standing at Har Sinai, right? It did, Hashem didn't reach us with a great video about how you can become rich by keeping Torah. That's not how Hashem did it, right? Hashem did it with an awe-inspiring experience, and that's what converted, right? Because we all became Jews again. It converted us to being ma'aminim, to believers in Hashem, and transformed uh, the world through that experience of Har Sinai and the experience of walking through the desert in tents. And so that's why I was so moved by being at the music festival to do Shabbat, and why we, I said we have to make an organization that does this all over the country, all the time. We need to have Shabbat tents. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Our last episode featured the first half of my interview with my close friend Rabbi Yona Buchstein, the rabbi of the Pico Shul in Los Angeles and the founder of Shabbat Tent. In that podcast, we talked about the difference between kiruv and outreach and why that difference matters. Today, Rabbi Yona explains why music and film festivals have provided him with amazing opportunities for healthy Jewish outreach. He even compares the experience of music festivals with that of Matan Torah, and explains why this comparison is actually crucial to understanding how to reach out to Jews, whoever and wherever they are. This also leads him to tell us what he thinks the future of outreach has to be, and along the way, he tells some great stories too. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com, that's jchpodcast.com, to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. Apart from his role as the rabbi of Pico Shul in Los Angeles and the founder and director of Shabbat Tent, Rabbi Yona Buchstein and his wife Rachel have been involved in many outreach activities over the past 25 years. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. When you talk about Jewish engagement, when you talk about the things that cause a Jew to want to engage on some level, what have you found is the most, I'm going to use the term, successful method? What is that which reaches people? Is it the experiential? Is it the philosophical? Is it 
something spiritual? What is it that does it? I'll, I'll let our listeners know because I think it's important to mention that I am a regular viewer of your weekly Havdalah service. Now, every week, I guess you probably started at the beginning of Corona. Is that correct? The beginning of COVID? Right. Exactly. The first, the first shutdown weekend. And obviously in Israel, I'm watching it sometimes on tape delay because on Facebook Live and you're doing it very often. It's the middle of the night for me. But at the same time, I try to put it on in the background when I'm working on Sunday morning because hearing you and Rachel, you're on camera, you have your guitar, you're doing a musical Havdalah, you're singing songs, you're calling out Tfilot for people, you're saying hello, and just it's an experience which adds, it sort of gets me off on the right start for the week. And that's what I mean by experiential, and I absolutely love it. And you didn't ask me to put in a plug. I'm putting it in because I really, really like it. <laughs> and I think everyone should watch it. It's a lot of fun. But that's an example of an experiential type of way of reaching people. Is that what does it? Or is it a really deep sheer or an incredible idea that philosophically speaks to people or theology? What do you find? I think, you know, that there's many different kinds of Jewish neshamas. I think that there are people for which an intellectual approach is going to be the way they connect. And for some people, you know, it's going to be the emotional uh, connection. I personally believe that you have the most opportunity to reach and to succeed in connecting with other Jews when something's coming from your heart, right? And it's going out to another Jew's heart. And that always, always can work. That always is going to work. And then to the extent that that person wants to be engaged and involved, well, they're going to find their own you know, paths and so forth. But I think experiential engagement with the broader Jewish community is the absolutely most uh, effective. And certainly, if we were to use, you know, any kinds of contemporary ways of gauging success, that that is one. I I'm going to pivot here for a moment. Yes. You know, in addition to the Pico Shul, we run another organization, which is called Shabbat Tent. And Shabbat Tent started before uh, Pico Shul. And we were not the first people to think of doing this. Other people thought of this, but I think we we're the first ones to make it into an organization and do it in a sustained and organized way. Uh, and the idea was you have tens of thousands of Jews in the United States and in other countries, but our base is the United States, who flock to music festivals around the country. And music festivals have only become more and more of a rite of passage and part of people's uh, lives here in the United States and worldwide. It's a gigantic, gigantic movement. And the reason is, why do people go to music festivals? So I started looking into this because, as you know, I, I didn't begin this life as wanting to be a rabbi, right? I thought I was going to be an anthropologist. And that's why we met at Oxford, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I said, well, why are people drawn? I mean, I wasn't in the anthropology department, but yes. No, you were not. You were not. Definitely. And, uh, and I wasn't there long either. <laughs> um, well, why are people I like how we're dropping these hints. Festivals? People are like, what was going on at I Oxford? Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, and your listeners might not know, uh, you know, the incredible uh, uh, Torah that we learned in Oxford. We have some good stories. Let's say that. Let's, um, let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so why do people run to music festivals? Okay. And then we're going to pivot back to Judaism in a minute, right? Yeah. So if you want to study cultural phenomenon, 
and understand what's going on in our society today. You can't ignore the gigantic growth of music festivals. Why can't people just turn on the radio? There's music. In fact, there's more ways to listen to music today than ever before, right? You can stream it on every single imaginable device. You don't need a, a CD player. You don't need a record player. You don't have to worry if you if you wore out the the, the rec, right? It's, That's a very interesting question. You, so there's less need for music festivals than ever before. You don't need to go to a concert. Right, you don't need to go to a concert. So why are people going to concerts? So the answer is, and this was so, 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 so interesting for me. Uh, there's a, a field of studies in England called festival studies. It doesn't really exist in the United States, but the music festival scene really took root in England and uh, uh, Glastonbury is the largest music festival in the world. Music camping festival, put it there, music camping festival, because mm -hmm. there's difference between an EDM festival, the electric daisy carnival and, and you know that might draw half a million people, but that's people going out to an airstrip and then going back to their hotels. It's a little bit different, similar, similar. But so why is that? The reason is people are looking for a transcendent experience. They're looking for like-minded people that they can share that transcendent experience with. They're looking for rites of passage and they're returning to the same festivals year after year to reaffirm their sense of who they are because people have lost their tribes and have lost their communities. And the music festivals are now the place where people seek spiritual transcendence. And unfortunately, I say, very often that's that means they have to take drugs when they go to the festivals, right? They can't just experience the music. But it's critical to know why people are flocking to these festivals. Some say it's economics. Ah, you can see your three favorite bands if you were to go to the three nights in a row, it cost you $400, but now you can get a festival ticket for 250. It's not it. That doesn't that, explain that, why the, you want to go to the festival in the first place. It does not. It, it's not it because, uh, especially because going to a music and camping festival is a ridiculously hard experience. Uh, you're camping, using porta johns, there's limited sanitation, there's limited showers. Very often they're hot or dusty or the opposite, they're wet and muddy. Uh, it's a super inconvenience. It doesn't have any of the creature, creature comforts of home, the exact opposite. So why would you put yourself through all this? Because you want an experience and you want that strong experience. And there's, there's, and it is so powerful. And I'll never forget the first time I went to a music and camping uh, festival in the United States to start this. It was in Florida. I was at the Langerado Music Festival on Big Cypress Indian Reservation, as it's called. And I was kind of on a little bit of a rise and I looked out at tens of thousands of people in tents. It was the morning and everybody's in their tents. And I said, you know, I mean, it's like, it sounds like a biblical scene from parts of Balak. Absolutely. Right? Where else can you see that of this just row after row, hill after hill of tents of people. And the Jewish people were created through an experience at Harsinai. So if we're going to say, my say, if we say that the things which happened to our ancestors is that which happens to us and that it's imprinted in who it means to be a Jew and in our neshamas standing at Har Sinai, right? It did, Hashem didn't reach us with a great video about how you can become rich by keeping Torah. That's not how Hashem did it, right? Hashem did it with an awe-inspiring experience and that's what converted 
right? Because we all became Jews again. It converted us to being ma'aminim, to believers in Hashem, and transformed uh, the world through that experience of Har Sinai and the experience of walking through the desert in tents. And so that's why I was so moved by being at the music festival to do Shabbat. And why we, I said, we have to make an organization that does this all over the country, all the time. We need to have Shabbat tents. And what is Shabbat tent? What does that mean? It's a tent, or usually it's a series of tents and canopies at a music festival where anybody can come for food, refreshment, a place to relax. And then on Shabbos, we serve uh, uh, Shabbos meals, the so Friday night dinners, uh, Shabbos lunch, Shalashidis, to anybody who comes. Uh, it is the ultimate, uh, uh, in a sense, Avram Avinu and Sarah Imenu type of situation, right? Because, you know, you're just, people are just wandering in for a few moments and wandering out. But Baruch Hashem, you know, this organization, pre-COVID, uh, we can reach 10,000 people every year. 10,000 people every year. And do you go to the Shabbos tents yourself or do you have other people do it for you? It would be awesome to be at every one of these myself because being engaged in this work is 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 really really rewarding and challenging but rewarding uh no thank god uh we have trained a group of people uh who help us to execute these kind of experiences so we have a team on the west coast we have a team based in chicago and we have a team on the east coast we have we have camping uh, equipment <laughs> in three places in the country and so you know we can reach lots of festivals and i'm going to pivot again i'm going to say Pico Shul, we had to shut the doors because of COVID, right? Like so and many. And now we're trying to evaluate what direction, yeah, like so many. And we're now trying to evaluate what direction we're going to go. And I, it seems to us that we are going to now put a lot more effort into our experiential uh, programming. Shabbat tent as uh, an endeavor needs to expand and and grow. And one of the reasons why it hasn't grown as much in the last couple of years. It's just because the demands of running a day-to-day shul. A Pico shul was so successful that we started having a daily minion. And, you know, and but all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm fundraising to keep this daily shul open mm-hmm. for millennials who don't pay, who don't pay membership. And so, you know, Shabbat tent, we couldn't put as much of our, of our kleches into it. Um, but so now, thank God, you know, uh, we're able to. And I really want to pay homage uh, to the two holy Jews who got me involved in this and a couple of people. First of all, Rav Shmuel Skaist and Adam Weinberg, um, they did a, a Shabbat tent with Matisiahu at Bonnaroo when Matisiahu was starting his career. And uh, they told me about it. And then there was another one that happened before that at the uh, Fish Millennial Show in 2000. And they were, they were regaling me with these stories of what they were doing. And then they invited me to one in Florida, and then I got the bug and uh, took off from there. I had the luxury that I was, and still am, fully employed as a person doing uh, outreach. That's my, right. that's, that's what I, our organizations are and so forth, where Rav Shmuel runs a yeshiva full-time. Adam Weinberg runs production for uh, Andrea Bocelli and many other uh, big uh, singers and people around the country. So they couldn't do this full-time. But I said, okay, I got to do this, uh, well, not full-time, but as much as possible. And what have the experiences been like when you go to these places, these modern-day uh, encampments in the desert, and there's a Shabbos tent? What's the reaction from Jews and non-Jews alike? 
it is overwhelmingly positive. Uh, overwhelming positive. There are people who may walk the other way uh, when they see the big sign that says Shabbat Shalom, and those are always the Jewish people who are, you know, have some resentment that has come away, you know, from some experiences in life. Unfortunately, you know, they're carrying some baggage. Uh, but the over- that's right. They're carrying baggage, but the overwhelming majority of uh, Jews and and also non-Jews, but the Jews who come and see what we're doing are super enthusiastic. And I, I'll just give you a couple, you know, uh, uh, Coachella, which is the largest festival in California, has 180,000 people. It happens over Passover very often. So I wrote a Haggadah that can be used to make seders at Coachella. And they run the seders back to back. Well, I call it the 10-minute Haggadah. And you have a video about that as well, that I've seen. I do, I do. I I created a video online so that now, now people use it all over the world. But it was originally created for the music festivals because no one's gonna sit down for a whole seder when, you know, Metallica or Britney Spears or one of these you know people they want to run to see right I, I purposely picked old groups uh you know <laughs> the right they're gonna want to you know they're running to see you know uh, these people the Dave they're Clark not gonna five. sit down they're right that's right they're not gonna sit down for uh, a four-hour BEU and Seder so with working with my 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 Rav Rav Shraga Five Zimmer, you know she should be well he's amazing amazing rabbi if you ever had a chance maybe you can get him on your show Okay. He's unbelievable. Rabbi Zimmerman, he's the head of the Federation based in in in, in, uh, in London. I pass by the whole thing. I want to present the most essential Haggadah possible. Cut it down to the basics so that it can be 10 minutes yes. long. And I, that's right. And I even was able to add in Dayenu uh, because for so many Jews, that's considered a... Uh, that's a know, highlight. That's right. It's a highlight. That's exactly right. So That's the Mitzvah Midoraisa. Mitzvah Dereis, right? So we got in Dayenu, and and so we do it, and, and the people, and we run these these sedarim at Coachella. Then we expanded to the Sundance Film Festival in Utah. It's not a tent because it's too cold, so we run a a lounge. We call it the Shabbat Lounge. And do you think the reason that people are open to this is because they're already looking for that transcendence? They're already ready for that spiritual experience, oh, which thank means you. they're That's ripe right. for the experience. Is that what's happening? Well, if you're at a music festival, you're open. You're just by definition, you're open, and you're and when you when you come across uh, the sign that says Shabbat Shalom, uh, and you're Jewish, you want to see what's going on, and then you see the big pile of challah rolls or whatever. You just see the. We usually have a big water station, like with different kinds of like water and iced tea and all sorts of stuff for people to drink because they're thirsty and hungry and hot, and. And everybody just wants to check it out. And yes, they are open to ideas and to experiences. Um, I'm not saying that you can't do that in the middle of Manhattan or Los Angeles. Uh, but when you go out of your own comfort zone and now you're in this uh, transcendent experience at the music festival, you're looking for experiences. And this becomes part of your experience. And so now when we've been at the same festivals year after year after year, people come back to us and they're like, right, Friday night, I'm going to be at the Shabbat tent for dinner. We've done bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs of people really? who never had any public acknowledgement of their Jewishness uh, for, you know, from everybody's a teenager to older people, but usually, you know, young people. But, you know, one of the big problems as far as funding this is always 
people want to say, well, what's the follow-up? Right. I'm so what gonna, is the follow-up? So the follow-up is in Hashem's hands. It's up to God. I'm being a little bit snarky on purpose, a little bit. I believe mitzvah, Guerrero's mitzvah. One positive Jewish experience helps to kindle the Pintalayid in all of us. Ourselves, me and you, Scott, right? Not just, any, right? When I get turned on by some awesome Torah, I want to get the next Torah too. I'm no different. And so uh, that person is much more likely to go and pursue other Jewish experiences. We proved this with Julicious. We did extensive follow-up surveys over the 10 years of the Julicious Festival. And we found an overwhelming number of people responded that they were more inclined to seek out Jewish experiences after their Julicious Festival weekend than before. An overwhelming number, like 75% said they're much more interested in looking for Jewish engagement after that festival. But as you said, Yona, even if that does not happen, you still couldn't call that a failure because a not Jew otherwise would have been watching a music festival on a Friday night, took an hour to have a Friday night Shabbos dinner. That itself is a success in its own, even if it doesn't lead to further Jewish engagement. 100%. 100%. Uh, I'll tell you a little story about, I won't mention his name, but one of our donors, uh, we were doing a festival uh, nine years ago here in California, and this guy walks in uh, with a couple buddies, and we have this big tent. It was a really nice tent, like pro. And he's like, what's going on here? I said, oh, it's a, we're having, we're having a Shabbos dinner, you know, and he, he practically, you know, drops his, uh, you know, everything, right? Shabbos? Shabbos? At a fish <laughs> festival? Uh, and so he tells his buddies, he's like, guys, we got to sit and make Kiddush. It's Shabbos. And, <laughs> and his buddies are looking at him like, wait, is this the same guy that we just walked in the door with? What do you mean? We're on our way to the fish set. Dude, we're going to miss the set. He's like, no, no, I, we got to make Kiddush and uh, Shabbos. So he sits down and grabs a bottle of wine, makes Kiddush. His buddies leave. He spends the whole evening in the Shabbos tent with me. And, you know, he grew up Orthodox in uh, the greater New York area. He went to yeshivas. He had a very serious Jewish education background. He had lots of journeys along the way but had just gotten just gotten married and his wife said yes you can go away and do one more festival uh but then you, you know you gotta be a serious uh, guy here's a guy who grew up religious grew up observant and was not going to make shabbos that friday night he ended up spending the whole night in the tent he's also become one of our big supporters because he he realizes just how important the, the mission is and and how much you can, you know, help people and change, you know, positively put uh, change into the world and into the Jewish world. Uh, and music festivals draw lots of formerly religious people because they, mm. they know they, they want to have a transcendent experience. And for some reason, they didn't find it in their religion. That's right. And they drop it. We don't have much time left, so I want to make sure we get into more things. I want to hear about examples of bad Kiruv and then... To close it up with some talk about where outreach should go from here on out, what you think the future of outreach holds if it's done properly. 
bad out bad key roof is when somebody who's engaged in uh, outreach with the goal of making somebody more religious ends up inoculating that person against becoming religious because they have some kind of very negative experience and they they people are smart people are smart they quickly realize that the rabbi is not calling them or the rabbi is not calling them because they did not start keeping shabbos and that puts such a bad taste in a jews uh, i mean they're they're judged well, because I, I didn't care keeping shabbos after one one uh, shabbaton and six classes now you're not going to call me anymore so well it that, means you're using me the entire time you're using me for another notch on your belt to say you made another guy from it wasn't right. a real relationship that's vaccination against being religious and that's the worst possible scenario right so you're uh, anti-vax. Is that is that what we're saying? God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. I am. I'm. I'm all in. And maybe we, I thought we weren't going to talk about controversial issues. <laughs> oh no, just <laughs> no. Uh, yes. Um, so yes. you you what you what you've done is you you've really you've given them a vaccination against Torah because mm-hmm. if that's what Torah is, I don't want any part of it. Right. Um, and and I don't obviously nobody goes out into the world to do that it's just a byproduct of, of it's a consequence of, uh, of that kind of behavior in a way of thinking. Of that that's right that kind of behavior and thinking i'll tell you that a very interesting thing about kirov and outreach you know uh, according to an article by a friend of mine in mishpacha magazine you shoshan he wrote rabbi shoshan said that the main issue in 2018 he wrote this the main issue facing kirov is not a reduction in interest as had been claimed by other articles and other Jewish organizations, but a reduction in couples willing to do the job, that they don't have enough people. And I'll explain what the problem is. Because in my opinion, if you're going out into Kiruv, you're gonna get burned out. First of all, there's no retirement plan. Uh, you know, you're doing it all for the mitzvahs and God will provide. It's very hard to wanna to go to any far-flung place where you don't have access to a Jewish community because of the obvious uh, challenges of not having uh, easy access to kosher food and education. And you could only point to a handful of success stories, right? Because if, if you are if you measure your own work by how many people I made from, and that's a limited number of people, so you're gonna feel burned out. I spent 10 years on this, and I've got three couples learning in Kolel and, you know, in Israel. So, but if you're engaged in outreach, then every single Yid who's realized and actualized more of their Jewish potential and your own potential, and their neshama's burning brighter, and your neshama's burning brighter, each is a major success, and you don't suffer from from that same burnout. When you said, and your neshama's burning brighter, if I can say so, I think that's an important point. The whole idea, the Benzoma and the mission, Avot, Ezu Chacham Halomei Mikol Adam, to realize that I might be religious and this person isn't religious and I'm not going to become irreligious. That doesn't mean this person has nothing he can add to my life too. Of course there's something he can add to me as well and that's the opposite of being condescending. It's an authentic relationship. Having that sort of idea where two candles are lighting each other, that I think is crucial. That's a beautiful, beautiful image, right? Two candles lighting each other and creating so much more light. Uh, and that, that and again, that's what I call outreach. That's what I think needs to be the future of outreach. And if I may boldly say to my all my dear friends and, and the wonderful people 
who support Kiruv, uh, because Mamish, their heart and their money is in the right place. They care about the Jewish future, right? That's the whole thing. We care about the Jewish future and we care about Jewish neshamas, right? They're, they're, God bless them and, and give them more strength in Koyach. I would just add my own humble opinion is that they will find more couples and they will find more objective and subjective success if the future of outreach is outreach and we we start to move away from the metric driven key roof uh, goals that's gonna i think that could mom has changed the world and there's lots of people out there who are doing what i'm doing i i'm not a das yachid uh, uh here uh rib scott i'm not at all uh, there are plenty of uh phenomenal people who do this kind of work there's people in Lubavitch. There are people, many, many people who are not in Lubavitch. And I could name drop, you know, lots of uh, people. It just comes, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to start saying things because then I don't want to forget somebody and feel bad. But uh, that is my opinion. Listen, it's only based on 25 years of, of fieldwork research. In multiple countries. In multiple countries, in multiple states, and with right. multiple demographics. Okay, Raviona, before we go, can you give us a final thought? It's so interesting that we're discussing this on uh, the format that we are discussing it, right? I'm sitting in my office in LA, you're sitting in your office in uh, Eretz Yisrael, and we're creating a podcast together, which is gonna go out into the world. It's a perfect metaphor for what I'm trying to explain. When you make a podcast, you don't know who's gonna download it. You don't know if they're gonna listen to all of it or part of it. You don't know if they're gonna share it or not share it. But that doesn't stop you from saying it's really important that these conversations happen and that these messages get out to the world. And while Orthodox Conundrum doesn't uh, bill itself as a Jewish outreach uh, and the Jewish coffee house might not bill itself as Jewish outreach organization, any effort uh, like what you're doing is a person engaged in 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 an endeavor which is about reaching out without looking at what the final uh, outcomes are. And and I think any episode that you produce is by definition success, whether it has five downloads or 500,000 downloads. And I just want to give you a lot of chizuk and, and, and continued success in what you're doing, because I believe very much uh, in what you're doing and, and bringing to the world. And it's a pleasure and a momish honor for me to be able to help and participate in your project. I really do appreciate that. Although I do actually, in all honesty, prefer 500,000 downloads over five, but point taken. <laughs> well, then, 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 you know, but that's because you can. I'm metric driven. I'm metric driven. Well, you're metric driven insofar as it'll help you to continue to push out uh, what you're doing because you're not charging, right? I'm, I'm not paying, you know, right? You're not charging. And the, the metrics in, in podcasting do help when it comes to being able to produce more episodes. Absolutely. And uh, should be Matzliach. And obviously, I would love you at 500,000 downloads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, with your help. Anyway, Raviona, it is always such a pleasure talking to you. You know how much I think of you and how much I love you. So thank you so much for coming on this podcast. This was amazing. And I hope we'll do it again soon. Thank you so much. I look forward to being back with you soon. Thank you for joining me today. And if you haven't done so yet, make sure to listen to the first half of our interview, which is Orthodox Conundrum, Episode 85. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. 
please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of the Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in Orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest Orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.